So I went to this conference that was talking about a release from burdens and healing the sick and how to flow with the Spirit of God. It was a school of healing and impartation and spiritual warfare. And I remember there was a session by a gentleman named Rodney Hogue, and he talked about generational curses. And I thought, generational curses? What kind of nonsense is this? I'm in Jesus. Every single Old Testament curse has been broken. I'm in covenant. I can't be more blessed. Every spiritual blessing has been given to me. What is this guy talking about? It just, I just was real, on, I was real defensive about the teaching. Do you, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, you're not going to lasso me with your non-freedom. You're not going to bring me into your, your religion. You're not going to take me out of what I know in Jesus and into some sort of troubleshooting, problem-centered, demon-hunting uh, insecurity. You're not, you're not going to take me there. But I had an open mind to hear what he had to say. And by the time he was done, I was like, okay, this guy's on to something here. He described patterns of behavior that were in his great-grandparents, grandparents, parents' generation that also were affecting and influencing his life. There were, specifically, I remember him talking about anger, that he had a grandpa who functioned really in a very bad anger attitude, and that he had an uncle who also walked in that anger, didn't handle stress well at all and would express himself through anger, and that he himself had struggled with that area of anger. And he described generational curses not as God being against you for the things your parents have done and not as the devil attacking you because of things your parents had done, but rather he described it as the relationship of learned behavior and inherited traits. And then, and then he didn't just leave us hanging, At the end, he had us walk through applying the blood of Jesus to the doorframe of our lives. Remember the story in the Passover in the Old Testament? God rescues his people out of Egypt. And there's a night when there's a destroying angel that comes and kills the firstborn of every house except the homes that are where the doors marked with the blood of a lamb. Are you with me so far? And what, what we are doing oftentimes in, in, in walking into freedom, what we are often doing is in heaven, God's already for us because of Jesus, right? But on earth, we're still living as though we're not free. And so it, it's not just the blood of Jesus being applied in heaven The blood of Jesus needs to be applied on earth, in our conscience, in our life. And so at the end of this guy's session on breaking spiritual uh, family curses or generational curses, he had us simply make our declarations, use the authority of our mouth to, to speak release and repentance from the behaviors. And I, I, I'm telling you, I was still skeptical, but as we did it, I, I found myself wanting to weep. I found myself wanting to weep when we went four generations back and broke stuff off and invited stuff in. And I, I stood there going, this is embarrassing. I, I, I feel like everyone else in the room is all in for the whole talk and they agree with everything he said and I was skeptical. But once we came down to actually making these declarations, I don't know if anyone else in this room is feeling the emotion I'm feeling. 
I felt stuff come off me and I felt good stuff come back into me. And it was just so weird, right? Because you know that our mind and our spirit are not the same thing. And just like we have a soul and we have a body and we have a mind and we have a spirit, sometimes what God's doing in your emotions doesn't make much sense to what your mind is thinking. I'm telling you, stuff came off me and it's never come back. And then he called down the blessing of a thousand generations. We're going to get to the Bible here in a second. So we're going to show you some of these things. But then he called down from heaven, the blessing of a thousand generations of faithfulness from our lineage. Y'all, I got like baptized in the Holy Ghost right there. I literally saw, I saw in front of my eyes, the phrase martyr's blood. I had a redefinition of what it meant for me to be from a Mennonite lineage. I had been embarrassed about my Mennonite history. I had been ashamed of it, honestly, because of all the religion and hypocrisy and tradition and dead empty works. I had, lo- I had lost sight of the faith heart that was underneath my tradition, that it was really the heartbeat of it. And in that experience of calling down the faithfulness of a thousand generations, I got a fresh injection of, of boldness and, spirit, and spirit's power. Okay. You ready to start the sermon? That was intro. Americans tend not to think in terms of tribe and family. Americans tend to think in terms of individuals. We kind of actually feel like our life began the moment we were born. That makes sense, doesn't it? If I ask you your story, an American will usually start with where you were born and your childhood. You ask a good Jew their story. They're not going to start with when they were born. They might start with, we were slaves in Egypt. They might go back further. They might say, well, my father Abraham. They might go all the way back to Genesis 12. And they might tell you the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Moses, Joshua, and on and on, prophets, David, Messiah, apostles, prophets, Pentecost, all the way down to today. The Bible gives us these long lists of genealogies, and we think, oh, that's boring, and skip right over it because it's not our worldview. The book of Genesis, if you just look at Genesis, it's a family history. The whole Old Testament is a family history. You can't be an individualist and understand the gospel. Me and Jesus. No, God doesn't see me and Jesus. He sees family lines. God's faithful to Abraham. And because of his promise to Abraham and his covenant with Abraham, he blesses the children of Abraham. And when you and I, most of us in this room Gentiles, came to Jesus, we were grafted into the people of God. We were grafted into the family of Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my father too. That's mind-blowing stuff. Because one time, my people were Druids in Europe, and they were far from God. They were without God, says Ephesians 2, and without hope in the world. Or as Peter says, once we were not a people. But now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, 
but now we have received mercy. It's big deal stuff. Acts chapter 2, the birthday of the church. Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, the promise is for you. Carolyn Biggs knows. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off whom the Lord will call. Great, 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 great grandkids. God is a family God. He sees lineages. He sees descendants. He sees tribes. He sees peoples. He sees corporately. Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He comes to Jesus, but what does it say? The Spirit fell on the entire household. And they're all baptized. Well, they're baptized in the water after Peter says, uh, well, they're baptized in the Spirit, so I guess we got to baptize them in water now because that seems like uh, you're doing it backwards, God. First off, they're Gentiles, and secondly, you're all out of order. <laughs> Acts chapter 16, there's a jailer. Yep. The jail comes open in the middle of the night, and, and the, you know, the soldiers are like, we better kill ourselves or they're going to torture us and kill us for losing all these... Uh, Help me with the word. Thank you, prisoners. I, it takes a village. The jailer gets up in the middle of the night, comes in, and can't believe that they don't all just run and escape. He finds the gospel, and it says him and his entire household are saved, baptized right then and there. Joshua chapter 24. You guys, does anyone have this Joshua verse on their wall? Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that you serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Me and my household. He doesn't say, as for me, I'll serve the Lord. And I hope my kids do too one day. He doesn't say it that way. He, does, he doesn't say it that way. He doesn't, biblical faith doesn't raise your kids in the hopes that one day they'll accept Jesus. Biblical faith raises your kids as Christians. Right? This is what we say. This is what we say. We say, we're the millers. We're the millers. We belong to God. Going back on all sides, many generations. And in this family, knowing Jesus is what matters most. This family honors the creator. We walk by faith and not by sight. All that we have and all that we are belongs to Jesus. Amen. That's who we are. We're the Millers. Our people were persecuted for obeying scripture. They were burned at the stake. They were drowned. They were falsely accused. And the spirit of glory and grace rested on them. That's who we are. Remember who you are. Martyr's blood flows in these veins. This is your inheritance. See, I'm just, I'm just I'm talking to my kids right now. This is your inheritance. You carry the kingdom, and you're going to walk in this gospel of grace long after mom and I have gone on to our reward. Heaven is filled with your redeemed ancestors, and now, now that they fought the fight and finished the race, they're cheering us on. It's your turn. Now it's your turn. That's your turn. This is who you are. Does this make sense to you, yes. what I'm saying? Yes. God sees in terms of family lines. 
We need to as well. He's a God of covenant. And God will honor your faith by working in your kids' lives. And you might say, well, they're wayward. Don't give up. I am the byproduct of my mom and dad not giving up. There were intercessors. And guess what? Grandma's faith too. Great grandmas, great, great grandmas, granddads. There's people in your line somewhere back there. Somewhere back there, almost certainly. And if not, if you're the first in your entire lineage, then it starts with you. You're all in. And the blood of Jesus is rewriting the story of your bloodline. Own it. Walk in it. Speak it. Now let's get to the actual verse that, that, we're, uh, that talks about generational curses. So here we are back in the old covenant. God gives the law. He makes a covenant. It's like a marriage ceremony between him and Israel. And when he gives the commands, he's giving the terms of the covenant. If you'll do this, I'll do this. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. This is God's great biblical dream. His whole dream is the reason that C.S. Lewis says that anything exists at all. Is God wanted kids. He wanted to have a people with whom he can dwell. And so he makes covenant with Israel and he sets the terms of the covenant. And if they'll walk in his ways, they'll be blessed. And if they reject him and follow after idols and rebel against him, guess what's going to happen? They're calling down curses on themselves. They're violating the terms of the covenant. It's like a marriage. And if you violate your promises, there are consequences. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. And they, what, they, what he did with Abraham is he, he had Abraham cut animals in half and walk through the animals. And what, what Abraham is saying, or actually Abraham didn't walk through, God walked through, which is really interesting. Because what you say when you cut a covenant, because that's the phrase, cut a covenant. What you're saying when you cut a covenant is if I am unfaithful, may I become like these animals. It's a fascinating thing. And what God was saying, I think, to Abraham by being the one who walked through is, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to absorb that into myself. And that's what he ended up doing. Okay, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So here's the terms of the covenant, just some of them. You must not have any other God but me. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I remember hearing Oprah Winfrey didn't want to believe in God anymore when she found out that God was jealous because she thought, oh, jealousy is a, a sin. What kind of person is jealous? How many of you know the difference between envy and jealousy? When I envy you, I wrongly desire something that is yours and not mine. When I am jealous, I am rightly protective of something that is mine. If you flirt with my wife, you're going to get slapped. She's mine. If I were to flirt with you, please slap me. What the heck? I belong to her. 
Jealousy is godly and appropriate. It is a virtue, not a vice. It is a virtue, not a vice. Because God loves, he is jealous. Because God knows that he alone is the loving savior, the loving father, that when he sees you running after things that will kill you, he feels rightly provoked to jealousy. Okay, so that's an aside. You must not bow down to these other gods or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Then he says this, this is the verse, I lay the sins of the parents on the children, and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Of those who reject me. So first off, what we're not talking about is imperfection. We're not talking about saints who are flawed. We're talking about betraying the Lord. Just to be clear. Are we clear? Verse 10. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. So these are some terms of the covenant. If you'll be faithful... If you'll be faithful, I'm going to bless a thousand generations coming after you because of you, because of you, because of your faithfulness, because of your little actions of obedience and surrender to me, I'm going to bless your descendants for a thousand generations, but I'm going to limit the devastating impact to three or four if you rebel. If you really want to dig deeper into this Old, Old Testament covenantal blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, chapter 28 is your chapter of Deuteronomy. Okay, so maybe this term of generational curses feels like foreign to you, strange to you. But like I said, when Rodney Hogue was describing the influence of the generations, the inherited uh, learned behavior and attitudes and how we affect, how we are affected by and how we affect the, the generations that we're connected to. I, thought, I sat there and I thought, I cannot deny that this makes perfect sense to me. And I cannot deny that I see examples in my life and in my family. <clears throat> so one of the things that happened for me was when we did the, the fourth generation, we were breaking off the stuff from the fourth generation, I, I, I wanted to weep. I restrained my emotion because, you know, I was embarrassed to cry in front of everybody. So I restrained my emotion, but my throat hurt so bad. You know, you know the kind of grief that starts in your stomach, and then it tightens up into your throat, and, if, and you're like, I should have just cried. It would have hurt less to just cry. It would have hurt my pride more. But I had this devastating sense of release. Didn't know from what. And then I told my dad about this experience, and I think he got a little defensive I think he felt like maybe I was attacking and saying, you know, my family four gener- on the fourth generation back was really wicked. And, and he was like, hey, but these are good people, Tim. And I think he got a little defensive and, and it caused me to go, well, maybe I'm making it up. Maybe, maybe the thing I experienced wasn't real until more recently when I found out that one of my ancestors struggles with seasonal effect, struggled with seasonal affective depression like I do, except he took his life. His wife had to hide the knives and the guns and everything, and one day he got them in the middle of the winter when he was 
in that state of mind. Now, I had asked my parents, does anyone in either of my side of the family, where am I getting this depression from? Where, am I, where do I get this stuff? When mom let me know that, and dad and I were talking the other day about some of this stuff, I was like, you know, also, I just f- I found out that, that on the Amish side, on my dad's side, there was a guy who, Southern Indiana, he got the lot cast to be the preacher. And he walked out of the church. No way, I'm not doing it. The bishops were gentle and patient with him and told the church, calm down. Because that was like, if you walk out when God calls you, that's the, the whole congregation is like, this guy's a rebel. What are we going to do with this guy? You can't just walk away and say no to God. What's wrong with you? But he did. He's like, I'm out. I'm not doing it. And I think it was because he felt so unworthy. Like, are you kidding me? Called to preach the word? No, thank you. I'm just trying to stand up straight and not screw up my whole life. And you're telling me to preach? No way. I'm not doing it. A couple weeks later, they did it again. Because, you know, this was random. The way they did it is they cast lots, put a little piece of paper into one of the hymnals. The guys who were, who were in the lot come forward, pick a hymnal, and whoever gets the paper is the preacher. That's a weird system, by the way. Guys, that's a weird system. That's a weird system. But he got it twice in a row. So then he was supposed to start preaching. He was supposed to first read scripture at the beginning of service, and then after a couple weeks of that, they were going to graduate him to giving the little mini-sermon at the beginning, and then after that, they were going to graduate him to preaching the big sermon. Well, his day came when he was supposed to give the little mini-sermon, and he refused. So for like six months, he was willing to read scripture, but he was not willing to do the thing, to, to talk. And one day, they, they rebuked him. They're like, bro, you got this. God wouldn't call you and not empower you. I mean, I don't know what all they said to him, but they were patient with him. Again, they were patient with him. So he's standing there. His name was Peter Wagler. He's standing there. He reads the scripture, and then he stands there in total silence for what seems to be an eternity, and the whole congregation's looking at him like, is this it? You just, we're just all gonna stand here looking at each other? And all of a sudden, he starts to talk. And he became like one of the most famous preachers in southern Indiana, in, in, in the Amish community. Now, I don't know how, what that, what that's, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. One day he was visiting the White House and Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, I'll get back to that. One, one day he was visiting the White House. I know what I'm doing, woman. <laughs> don't tell me my business, woman. One day he's visiting the White House and Woodrow Wilson hears, oh, there's a couple Amish bishops here. And he says, well, have them come preach tomorrow for, the, for all the staff. So he, they come and preach so for all the staff. And, and then before we went into World War I, Woodrow Wilson called them and said, are the, are the churches at peace? How are the churches doing? Because he, he didn't want a, a divided house. He didn't want to go into war if spiritually we were divided at home. Because he kind of figured how things are going in the churches is a reflection of how things are going in the spirit. And if you go into a physical battle when you're spiritually all messed up, that's a different time, isn't it? When the president would call pastors and ask them how, how things are going. It's a different. So how did he get from the guy who refused to being the guy who would preach to the president? Well, what happened when he was standing there in complete silence, later on he said, I stood there feeling completely helpless, and it felt like warm water suddenly was being poured over me and inside of me from my head, moving all the way down my body into my feet, and after that, I could preach. Guys, this generational stuff's interesting. Where did I get my seasonal depression? Where did I get my anointing? Well, from Jesus, but where did I get those 
See what I'm saying? It's not all bad. We are who we are because of the people we come from. There, did I finish? Did I finish this? Did I do it? You? Okay, thank you. So let's think of it like this. Uh, learned behavior. Children usually live, live out the values of their parents or live in reaction to the values of their parents. But, but it, for good or bad, we tend to be very much influenced, affected by the families we come from. When godly patterns are at work in our family, we inherit a blessing. And when godless patterns are at work in our family, it's like we inherit a curse. But I want to be very clear about this. Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the child doesn't share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. God's not holding you accountable for your family's sins. That's not what's going on here. Ezekiel 18, 20. And you can say, well, if that's the case, then who cares about all this, this teaching, right, on generational curses? Well, I would say this. We still have to deal with the reality of how our family has affected us. Correct? So here's what I, here's what I don't want. I don't want you to leave this place troubleshooting and looking for problems that aren't there and seeing a demon under every bush. I don't want you sin-conscious, devil-conscious, problem-centered. Our gospel has a a huge Jesus and a tiny devil. Okay? Our gospel has a huge work of powerful righteousness that's over your life, blessing that's over your life. Our gospel has love that defeats death. Our gospel has a Jesus who puts a spirit in you, and the spirit that's in you is greater than... So when you walk into a place, you're disrupting the evil in the place. You're not getting infected by it. You're disrupting it. Somebody say amen. Amen. So you're not living on defense. You're not vulnerable. Except by your agreements. You have authority from God. And if you misuse that authority to agree with the evil one, and if you leave the back door open for the evil one, well, he can mess with you. Somebody's like, oh, Christians can't have a demon. And I'm like, well, actually, a Christian can have whatever they want. I'm not sure why you'd want a demon, but you can have one if you want one. I've cast demons out of Christians. Sorry. They shouldn't have been there. They had no right to be there, except the Christian gave them a right to be there. All righty. So that's what I don't want. I don't want us to leave this place going, oh, no. And what I do want is to acknowledge how things affect us, and I want us to walk in the authority we have in Jesus, break it off, and walk in freedom instead. That's what I want. And we're going to do that at the end. We're not going to leave you with just a list of problems that might be going on. At the end, you're going to use your mouth, you're going to use your authority in Christ, and you're going to take control of and responsibility for what's going on in your family line. Because your, your declarations over your, the temple of you, the, the, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Nobody else has authority over that temple except you. I don't. I mean, I can pray for you, but the declarations you make with the authority in your own mouth, heaven will respect and hell has to. 
Has to. Okay. Another reality I want you to know. The curses for breaking the covenant in the Old Testament, Jesus absorbed. He took the curse for all covenant breaking under the law onto himself. It says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is Galatians chapter 3. This is a good verse for you to memorize. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. That's an interesting phrase. He, remem- he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through, faith, through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So it's like, if you're in Jesus, every Old Testament curse has been broken off your life. And every covenant promise is yes through Jesus. And then when we say our yes, we're giving the amen. Or Ephesians 1.3, every spiritual blessing is mine in Christ Jesus. Every, every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, if, if you have every spiritual blessing, then is there anyone more blessed than you? But you believe there is because you believe lies. So stop that. <laughs> Don't. You are blessed. You are in covenant with God. Let's learn to live like it. Amen. And this gets to the issue of standing versus state. Your standing, if you're in Christ, is you are 100% right with God. You are squeaky clean. You, have, you are spotless and blameless and beyond, beyond reproach. Like the, the verse in Colossians says that we are absolutely spotless, holy and blameless in God's sight. That's your, that's your standing. 100% right with God. But your state is your condition. You might be 100% squeaky clean in the sight of God. But if you carry around guilt and shame and you don't know who you are, your state can be a mess even if your standing is amazing. This is why it's so important for us to have our mind renewed to what's the truth in the gospel. So if that's true, if you can have an amazing standing in Christ but a very poor state on earth then just maybe, even though Christ bore all the curse of the law, including generational curses, just maybe there needs to be some application of the work of Jesus to the doorframe of you, your life, your emotions. Are you with me? Did I lose you? I'm going to give you a 10-second break to recover because I feel like I've said a lot of things now. What sort of things can be passed down? What sort of things can be passed down from generation to generation, guys? Gifts, personalities too, yeah. Addictions, depression,
How did my people survive? I don't know. I guess that's where the miller came from. You stay there and grind that flour since you cannot hunt. That boy's blind as a bat. You just operate the mill. We got this, boy. We'll bring it to you. You just hold still. We inherit uh, emotional coping strategies or a lack of emotional coping strategies. We inherit values. Values. Values like uh, the, all the isms. <laughs> you know, sexism, racism, uh, uh, any other ism. We, we inherit beliefs, including wrong beliefs, like what's a real man? What's a real woman? Uh, who is su- PTSD? Who is successful? Who is a failure? Uh, what sort of things? Uh, attitudes. We inherit attitudes. Uh, attitudes toward like money, for example. Mindsets about money. Uh, <laughs> attitudes like a victim attitude. Poor me. Attitudes like a feeling of powerlessness. What will be will be. What's the point of trying? Attitudes about who's, yeah, who matters and who doesn't, whose opinion matters. We, we inherit things like, uh, what are the stuff, what are the things in this family that we just don't, we just never talk about? Like my dad was saying that about, remember that stuff I just mentioned, that intense stuff in the four, gen- yeah, skeletons in the closet. Like I, I said, dad, are there questions you really wish you could ask Dave and Laura, his parents who are now in heaven? He said, yeah, I think their lives were really hard, but they never talked about it. I want to know how the Great Depression influenced them. I want to know how the one lady rolling over killing two of her babies on accident affected her. I want to know how Christian, the guy who took his life, I want to know how that affected people. Yes. How come we didn't talk about it? Well, that's one of the things we inherited is we just don't talk about it. That's right. You just man up and keep going. If you're a woman, you just have more babies. And if you're a man, you just work even harder. And we just don't talk about it. You know, what do you do when your wife's mad at you? You just don't talk about it. You hope she gets over it and you move on. You just keep working. You got to feed them hogs. Help me, Lord. How do we act when we're scared? We learn that stuff from our family. What do we do when we're frightened? What do we do when we're threatened? How do we in this family handle sin? How do we handle failure? How do we handle shame? What do we do when we realize we've screwed up? What do we do? How do we relate to setbacks? How do we relate? How do we recover from disappointment? Do we recover from disappointment? What's our daily normal? Are we actually present in this moment? Are we emotionally available? Are we here? Or what did we learn? Did we see that mom and dad were basically completely detached, living in coping mechanisms all day, every day? Not available because they were not here because they can handle it. So they're, they're emotionally and mentally elsewhere. Uh, do we, did, what, what, do we learn gratitude from our family or did we learn grumbling? Do we dwell on what's good or do we dwell on what's bad? By the way, studies reveal that if you keep a gratitude journal, it's good for you. And studies reveal that if you keep a stuff that bothered me journal, it's bad for you. Isn't it fun when science confirms the Bible knows stuff? Uh, we, we, we inherited things like what is the role of a dad? What is the role of a mom? What is the role of a son, a sister, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, we learn all these things about roles. Whose job is that and whose job is not that? We, and and here's, the, here's one of the deepest ones. We learned how to answer the question, am I loved? Like our souls asking the question all the time when we walk into a space that's social, 
is anyone happy to see me? And as kids, we're ans- our, the deepest question of our soul, am I a treasure or a problem? And the way, what we're looking to as little kids to answer that is do people's faces light up when I come into the room or not? And if they never did, you learn something. What did make their faces light up? Was it acting wrong and naughty? Well, punishment is at least some form of attention. You know, maybe you learned. To have someone interact with you as a problem is better than ignoring you. Maybe you learned how to hijack stuff. Maybe the, maybe the highest form of affection you're capable of receiving is just creating drama and then people have to deal with you. And then maybe for a moment there will be a painful thing and then some sort of a reconnecting. And that's the only way you know how to receive attention is by destroying stuff and causing drama. Maybe you learned that from your family. Just stuff to think about. How about this? This is a whole question of what demonic doors did my family open? Demonic doors. Because again, he doesn't have the authority to touch stuff, but we have authority and we can open doors and invite him on in. Did my family practice any of the following? Habitual sins that control us. Sexual perversion, porn, fantasy life, like romance novels count, by the way. It's emotional porn. Witchcraft, like palm readers, uh, fortune tellers, uh, Ouija boards. Was there any kind of non-Christian supernatural soothsaying or healing that my family practiced? Where we utilized spirits who were not of God. That's an open door. How about drug abuse, alcohol abuse? That's an open door. How about ancestral patterns of physical abuse, violence, that kind of stuff? Those are open doors. Any history of self-hatred or suicide? Open doors. What about word curses? Where either people spoke things over your family and the family believed them, or you spoke curses over yourselves and believed them. How about trauma that just wasn't healed, that affected the whole family and has never been dealt with? What about unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment? What about open family shame where you just believe the whole family are losers? That stuff matters. Remember what we said last week about repent, renounce, replace? Let's just do that right now. As I've been saying these open door lists and things we can inherit, maybe some of you are like, oh yeah, I got like 17 things now on my list. I just want to give you a little bit of time. I'm I'm going to lead in a repeat after me kind of prayer, but you can fill in the blanks how you need to. And, And maybe you want to spend some time later as well walking through some of this stuff, but there is repentance and faith is bulletproof, guys. There's no greater power in the world than God's love. And and just applying the blood of Jesus, entering into what he did is so powerful. So pray with me, okay? Get the stuff in your heart that, that on these lists, you're like, that, that's in my family. I want to break that. So God, I repent of the sins of, now you fill in the blank with whatever you want. God, I repent of the sins of. 
God, I say no more. No more. I renounce these ungodly patterns in Jesus' name. I break our connection with them in Jesus' name. I close the door in Jesus' name. Jesus, forgive us. Jesus, heal us. I trust you to be our God. I walk in your ways. Teach me your ways. I'm listening to you. I belong to you in Jesus' name. So, amen. So the sins at work in our families have affected us, but what we're going to do is we're going we're to go through the generations. If, if the sins can affect us, four, three, two, one, and then our children, and if there's a blessing for a thousand generations, let's take that Deuteronomy 5 thing and let's treat it as though it still has truth today. But let's let the blood of Jesus and the new covenant serve as a filter to filter out what we need filtered out from our family lineage and to filter in what we want filtered in from our lineage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. So I just said in my history, there's like a rich heritage of faith and prayer and sacrificial love and preachers with the anointing and service to the community and strong marriages and devotion to the kingdom. But there's also like a lot of morbid introspection and melancholy and seasonal depression and suicide and a whole lot of not talking about what's really going on and stuffing things down and trying to bravely soldier on and not near enough affection and warmth from the dads to the fathers. And my dad and I are working on that. And dads, I love my dad so much. I'm so thankful for my parents, you guys. So thankful. At some point when you're a little kid, you like idolize your parents. But when you really become a more mature human, you start to view your parents like just their kids too. They're little broken kids too. And, and, and you're able to have mercy on them for the things that they're flawed in. And you're able to, it's different. It changes things. But for good and bad, I am a true son of my ancestors. So let's let Jesus redefine our bloodlines. You ready to pray with me? Now, this last one, I didn't need you to pray out loud with me. But this one, I'm going to need you to pray out loud with me. And it may help you to stand up. I do need you to get your authority on. Does that make sense? I need you to get your authority on. And I need you to not care a whole lot if anyone's listening to you. If they're not listening, if they're listening to you instead of praying, that's because they're stupid, okay? So don't worry about them. That's their problem. You know, like, whatever. It's about you and Jesus right now, and it's about you functioning in your authority. All right, so I'm going to try to give you phrases that are repeatable, but forgive me if I use long phrases. Sometimes it's like when something's being translated into Spanish. I just, the translator says, too many words, dude. Slow down. And then I say three words, and he goes, come on, at least finish a whole thought. So it's, it's not easy always to know how to do repeat after me. But okay, let's pray. This is you making a declaration using your authority. Lord, my ancestors weren't perfect. But Jesus' blood has broken every curse. 
I declare all your favor is upon me because of Jesus. Thank you for my great-grandparents. The blood of Jesus filters my bloodline. Every curse falls to the ground powerless. Blessings are springing to life. Their blessings are landing on my head right now. In Jesus' name, I receive my great-grandparents' blessing. Third generation, your grandparents. God, thank you for my grandparents. The blood of Jesus filters my inheritance. The devil has no foothold. I receive the blessing of their faithfulness. But your blood stands as a wall of separation. Their sin and shortcomings do not pass to me. Retrain me in your ways, Jesus. Your blood rewrites my bloodline. Second generation, your parents. God, I thank you for my parents. Forgive us for how we have followed idols. I break the patterns of sexual sin. I break off depression. I break off self-pity. I break off inherited illness. I break off financial lack. I break off resentment. Every curse is broken through the cross. Your blessing is upon us. Your blood filters in the good. Your blood filters out the bad. Your spirit is retraining me in your ways. It ends with me. Every curse broken. Your blood rewrites my bloodline. First generation is us and our children. God, I've not walked in your ways fully. My faith has faltered. I've followed the flesh. If I've stood on my own merit, I'd have no hope. But I have hope because I plead the blood. Jesus, your blood covers my sins. Jesus, your blood cancels every curse. Your blood seals my life with blessing. Your blood filters out my sins and sends my virtues on. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I declare my bloodline purified by your blood. You're doing good. You're doing real good, guys. All right, let's release the blessing of a thousand generations. God, you remember. You remember. Release the blessing of a thousand generations. Release 
the blessing of a thousand generations of faithfulness. Release on my life every promise and every prayer from my lineage going back a thousand generations. I receive this blessing. Your blessing is upon us. Your blood has rewritten my bloodline. Amen. You did good, kids. Yeah, please have a seat. Thanks. Well, I was just steady, right? I don't know if you guys had just things coming to you while Pastor Tim was talking, but whether you did or didn't, I, I just encourage you to go home and spend some time just quiet by yourself. One of the things he was sharing uh, when, he, when Tim was talking, it reminded me, I know Rusty would remember this, our pastor that we had in Florida, he would be the first to tell you he had a lot of anger issues. And um, he said he would always just, when people made him mad, he'd just want to kill them. <laughs> and he's like, something's wrong here. I'm a pastor. I love Jesus, but I want to kill people. And uh, I, they had four sons. I think it was their third son and had a project to do, and he had to do a genealogy. And he came home and he said, Dad, did you know our family was connected to the mafia? We were hitmen. He goes, well, that's explaining some things now. Like, I just want to always kill people. He got free that day. He got free that day. I mean, he really, he told some stories. So I wanted to share that. And I've, man, I've just really gone back and forth whether to share this or not. But I asked Alex, who will not even remember this, um, and he said it was okay. He trusts me. He would have been maybe three, and he loves, he loves babies. He's always loved little kids. And so I said to him when, one day, I said, you are going to make such a great father. And then I feel like it was the Holy Spirit. I followed it with, and you're going to be a great husband. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, yes, you are. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to throw my wife down and beat her. All right, so he was three. He was removed from his home at one. Do you think he has any real recollection of his biological father beating his biological mother? No. But he articulated that that day, and I thank God Rusty and I had already had teaching on generational curses, and I rebuked that, and I have declared over all three of my sons the kind of husbands and fathers they will be. And I have broken off of our children generational curses because they're my sons now. They're mine and Rusty's. But there was a lineage there that had to be broken. 
There's no shame there. There's no shame. And that's what the enemy always, gosh, that's what he uses all the time is shame. He doesn't want you to get free. And what Tim said, do not make the devil bigger than what he is. He is he is under our feet, you guys. We have the power and the authority that Jesus has given us, and it's time to start walking in it. If you need, could the prayer team come forward, please? You guys, we have an incredible prayer team. They start praying for you and for this service before we ever get here on Sunday mornings. They want to be free, and they want to see others set free, too. So if that's you, if you're struggling in any area, this is the time to come forward and get free. This is the time to come forward and get free. Don't leave here carrying stuff that God never, never created you to carry. Tim brought up very uh, just a little bit about witchcraft. You guys, I grew up <laughs> playing with Ouija boards and having seances. Nobody told me that was that. Nobody told me that was satanic. Do you think there was some witchcraft in my family? Yep. After a little bit of searching, I found out there was. Had to break that off. There's things going on in your life, and they're 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 kicking your butt in the parking lot. And they don't have to, but you've got to be willing to do the work and say, you know what, it stops today. So come on forward. Don't leave here unless you get prayer. Thank you. Stan wants to say something. So from the beginning of this uh, service, a prayer service, the Lord gave me two words for this morning. It's freedom and surrender. So if there's stuff that you need to surrender, come surrender it. So you can get freedom because that's what he wants to do this morning.